0: Hi, you are listening to Mobile Couch, and this is episode number 78.
1: And this week, Ben, this week, yes, you've brought along a guest. I have. Well, he's kind of in another city, but I brought him virtually along with me. Uh, His name's Gio from Melbourne, MochaGio on Twitter, you might know him as. So yeah, welcome, welcome Gio.
2: Hi, hi guys, how's it going?
0: Good,
1: Good, man. Good. Welcome to the couch.
0: Do you like the feel of it? Is it nice? Thank you. It's It's virtual, but very comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this week we're going to have a little bit of a chat about automation, apparently.
1: Yeah, so spoiler alert, I've actually automated my entire presence in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not actually me. Wow. Mind blown. (laughs) But uh, Gio, you're a bit of an automation expert, right? That's why we've got you along.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm certainly very opinionated about automation and also it's a little bit of a passion. I always get pretty excited about, oh, there's a way to automate something and spend a couple of hours on
1: it. So why don't we start with some general examples of where you think it's most effective?
2: Hmm Okay, well, I would say that automation is most effective on authors' kind of um, very mundane tasks. Authors, things are like you have to do. A number of times and are always done in the same way, and therefore yep. you can, if you can have someone else do them for you, that would be pretty beneficial for you. Also, I would say that like when the number of mundane and repetitive tasks grow and like you have um, a number of steps say like you need to do and grab this and do this other thing bump this bill number and then like remember to turn on this warning or something turn off that other thing well there's a lot of steps involved and a lot of room for human error because i don't know about you guys but i always forget something yes and if you can automate it and have a machine do that for you uh, that would be pretty cool
0: yeah i've The, the rule that I've heard and I think we've talked about on the show before has been that if you're doing something, say more than three times, you should like, that's like ripe for automation. You should go ahead and get something to do that for you.
2: Yeah. I've, I've seen that called the three strikes, then automate rule. (laughs) Ah. Although I unfortunately don't have kind of, um, author for that. Someone to, you know, say, yeah, that's the, that's the guy that defined this rule, but I think it's,
1: it's a very good one. It is a good rule. I actually like your point about when there could be human error involved because I hadn't actually thought of that because everyone always talks about, yeah, let's get rid of the mundane stuff because that's super boring and like, why would you want to do that? But yeah, the human error stuff where you, I always forget to increment the build number if I don't have that automated and you know, you get through the whole upload to iTunes or whatever. And it's like, nah, the build number needs to be different. Yeah, you need to increment the build number. Oh, come on!
0: Yeah, I've I've had situations where, especially in doing, like, client work, if you're doing client work and you're releasing stuff all the time, um, you generally have a process that you have to go through to make that happen. And that process can be relatively complex. For one of my past jobs, it it involved, like, getting sign-off, making sure that, you know, this and that. Um, service were turned on and active making sure that you know we changed certain variables to us you know to a different setting and all that sort of stuff and all the time every almost every single time one thing or another would get left off that list and we'd completely forget and we got to the point with that where we we put together like an actual a legitimate list of what what needed to happen and even that didn't save us because nobody ever looked at it. (laughs) So automation is perfect for that sort of a situation.
2: Yeah, you know, Jelly, you mentioned that you put together a list. Yeah. So like you have sort of like you documented your process, and automation is super powerful on that because not only you sort of have like another documentation of your pro of your process. Yep. But the documentation itself is live and never wrong. So if you need to update your process, you're going to update your automation script and you're not going to forget about doing that because you're actually doing it to update your automation. Yeah. Instead, like you might need to have an extra step in your process and you have it in your mind, but you forget to um, update the readme of the project. Yep. That is not going to happen if it's all into a script.
1: Mm, Hmm. Very good. So I I guess the main one that everyone tries to automate these days is the build process. So you've got like build, test, archive, deploy, I guess are the main steps there. Yeah. What tools do you use to do that? Because there's heaps out there.
2: I think, as always, it always depends, right? That's the safe answer to any question (laughs) that that you are asked as a software engineer. But I would say that nowadays Fastlane, the suite of Fastlane tools, would be the Mm -hmm. place to go for iOS developers. Fastlane is a collection of tools, uh, Ruby tools, that's the implementation, Mm -hmm. that wrap all the several Xcode build commands and other Apple-provided tools or APIs. And they're pretty handy because they greatly simplify the old syntax that you have to use to achieve certain results and perform certain operation and also they are a suite of tools and they're built to work in synergy to work together so you can get this sort of very nice um, integration between the little tool that takes care of making sure that you have the right uh, provisioning profile for your process and then the other tool that builds and sign the IPA for you then finally the one that is gonna upload it to test flight or hockey app or whatever other service you want to use test theory
1: yeah that's really cool so let's go over the the basic case I guess of let's say we're using something like Circle where you just get a clean basically Mac client so none of your stuff is on there uh, and we want to build test and upload to I don't know let's go the whole way say upload to test flight what tools would we use
2: well you you always have the you know the close to the metal option which I didn't mention before, but I think is worth mentioning because that is what everything is built on top of. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to just go vanilla, you would use Xcode build to build and then archive your your application and then sign it to generate the IPA. I think the, the technical command would be export archive and you then mm-hmm. decide to put an IPA. The IPA is, uh, you know, the format that you need to export your app in to submit it to the store. Then after that, you would have, I guess, to curl the iTunes Connect APIs to upload the IPA itself. I might be wrong on that, but like, yeah, you need to use the iTunes Connect API somehow to upload that IPA to your test flight support.
1: So the test flight API, as far as I know, is not documented So it's not like something we're meant to use, but everyone seems to use it. Yeah. And, and that is again, why now we can
2: plug Fastlane into, into the process, because it sort of takes away all this magic that you need to be aware of to make your things work. Someone else has done it for you, which is pretty cool. So if you were to use Fastlane, again, here you have two options. You could use the tool, but the tools by themselves. So you could use gym gym like you know going to the gym
1: yeah working out
2: to to build and archive your IPA from your Xcode project and then you could use pilot. Pilot is the tool that uh Fastlane uses to upload to iTunes Connect. If you were using another tool, another beta distribution um channel say hockey app mm-hmm. you could use another tool that fastlane provides that is called deliver.
1: Oh I didn't okay. know that. So I've always used Puck. It's called Puck, right? Have you ever used that? Um actually no. Is is it is it
0: part of the Fastlane?
1: No, I think it's just provided by Hockey. Oh. So they have a, a hockey uploader thingy.
0: Oh that's pretty cool. Is that the Mac app thing that they have? Because yeah, so they the, a Mac
1: app. The Mac app has a terminal version as well. Ah yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. So yeah nice. that's what we use. I've never used Jim, though. So I always... The way we do it, it's drypy sock, is we have a build script that kind of uses some tools, but we just still use Xcode build. We used to use XC tool, which is Facebook's one, but it broke recently, and I can't remember why. Something to do with BitCode, probably. BitCode broke everything. <laughs> so we build, run tests with Xcode build, and then we upload to Hockey using Puck. And the one I'm really interested in is we haven't built the test flight bit yet, so we still do the test flight bit manually. So pilot is it reliable you know like do apple change something every now and then and everything breaks how much do you have to maintain it
2: they actually do change things every now and then but i would say that fast lanes maintainer and author uh, felix krauss i mm-hmm. i don't know if i you know butcher this surname or something <laughs> like felix uh, I'm sure we're going to add like a um, proper credit to him on, on the show notes. Uh, Felix is super active on, on GitHub. So as soon as something changes, he's probably going to have an update released before any one
0: of us notices. Okay. He's probably got it automated
2: <laughs> for sure. And he is also working full time. So it, I, I would say that he's pretty reliable.
0: Yeah. So Fastlane's owned by Twitter now, right? Yeah. It got acquired. Maybe a couple of months ago now.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't seem to have slowed anything down. Or... No, he
0: still seems to be going great guns. In fact, it seems to have sped up a bit, which is best case scenario, I guess. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I would say so. I-, I remember when when the fact was announced at uh, Flight, the Twitter developer conference.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I don't remember when, but like yeah, a couple of months ago, a lot of people got in touch with him on Twitter, saying, "Hey, congratulations! What is this going to mean for for the tools? Are they not gonna be open source anymore. Is Twitter gonna tell you what to do? And it was like, "No, no, guys, you know, chill. Um everything is gonna be open source. Twitter wants me to keep working the way I've been working because it's been pretty good for for the tool and the community, and and nothing has changed so far, so we're all pretty happy about it.
1: So, one thing with Fastlane that I haven't explored yet is on the website they talk about these pipelines um and how you know if you you have different pipelines for the different like They're all similar, but they're different. So you've got a pipeline for internal builds that just go to hockey, say. Then you've got a pipeline for test flight builds to go to external testers and then you might have a pipeline for the full-on app store release where you can include screenshots and all of that stuff do you have any experience with those pipelines
2: i wouldn't say that i've built pipelines that you can dynamically switch but yeah the concept behind it is basically so just before we said like yeah if you wanted to you know do this all build and release process you could use the tools by themselves Mm -hmm. Or there was another option, and this other option is to wrap everything in this pipeline and describe them into what is called a fast file, which is uh, basically Fastlane itself is a wrapper for all these tools, and it provides a DSL to combine them together into what, what they call lanes, you know, fast lane, and then there's the lanes. Mm-hmm. So the pipeline would actually be the lanes. So you could start with your, like, um, deploy lane and your deploy lane, based on some parameter that you specify when you launch it, could switch onto another lane, the deploy beta lane or, or the deploy production lane. And this that's pretty cool because, yeah, as you say, you can share part of the process like I don't know building the app or running the test mm-hmm. and then just switch onto a particular branch for the end result that you care about. And this all can be done in a very neat and clean way using the the fast file and the old fast lane DSL which is which is pretty simple. And one thing that I would also add is that if you decide to go that extra step and put in place a fast file with the old DSL. You also get access to a huge number of other actions, they're called, uh, that are little pieces of automation. So, for example, Ben, you mentioned that you want to Uh, bump your build number where there's Mm -hmm. an action for that you want to bump your version number there's an action for that as well you want to commit something there's an action for that there's an action for almost anything i think there's like more than 100 actions wow and i think that maybe not half of them but very relevant percentage are provided by have been implemented by the community which is which is pretty cool to see that like uh, yeah everyone is helping out to bring automation forward
1: that is really cool i gotta look into this more it sounds like just having the basic build script that's 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 old school now it's too far behind i need to get on these pipelines or fast lanes
2: i think it, it, it kind of is to, to be honest i sometimes enjoy just being you know closer to the metal just having my shell script dot sh but There is a strong argument to be made for the productivity that using a a fast file and all these lanes can give you. So I I would definitely recommend it.
1: Is there an action for generating release notes from commit messages? Uh, I think there is. Because I'm basically reinventing the wheel, I think. (laughs) All these things (laughs) it sounds like I've done myself, like I should have just gone to GitHub. Like everything.
0: I still <laughs> think there's a place for doing some things yourself. But like, I don't know. these
1: like simple actions, right? If it works, it works. I think I should just be using them rather than rewriting my own.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the thing about, the thing about this stuff is, and I don't, I don't want to like be down on Fastlane because obviously it's a great set of tools. That's not at all the problem. At a certain point, you hand over like, it's like the problem that everybody has with CocoaPods where, you know, it's so kind of, Magic and it just does all these things itself. That uh, like, if something goes wrong, then you, you don't like you've got no kind of recourse. Okay, yeah. I I feel like I I feel like even just having like if, I mean, obviously you're not going to use it if you're under a, like a tight situation. You know, you're not going to like spend you know a day writing your own script. But I mean. I I think there's kind of room for reinventing the wheel. I don't I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes you got to do it to just make sure that you're still on your game.
2: Mm. I I sort of agree with you, Jelly. There's something very powerful and important into knowing how things work. Yeah. And if you just use this very high level tool, you're just saying, oh, "Well, I know how to gym or I know how to scan or whatever." tool of fast lane or other tool Pods I'm using but if you actually you know go the extra step and you dig down and you find out how it works in the most basic form I think you then get an, a better understanding of how all the tools that build on top of that work and you're gonna be yeah. able to use them more effectively
1: yeah I think so so one thing we haven't we sort of glossed over it. How does the testing part work? Does Jim run the tests as well? Nope. Jim doesn't run tests. A pretty cool thing about
2: each of these uh, fastlane tools is that they sort of uh, like um, they are aligned with the Unix philosophy. So one tool does only one thing. Yeah. And they're very open to be composed together. So there is another tool to run the test which is called scan. Okay. And basically, if your project is very simple, if you don't have like a lot of schemes or like a workspace or anything, in the purest form, you could just type scan in your terminal and the tests would run automatically by themselves.
1: And is that going to run unit tests and UI tests? So
2: I am not sure how it would work, you know, out of the box. Mm -hmm. But basically, you can pass scan a scheme to execute. So it would do anything that you specified in that scheme. Okay. So you could say, here yeah, you have my just unit test scheme where you didn't uh, check the UI test checkbox or vice versa, or you could have run all the test scheme where every checkbox is checked and all the tests are going to be run.
1: What's your opinion on UI testing? Because I swear of all the things that go wrong in our build pipeline that aren't a real problem, you know, like it's not an actual error, it's just the test or the build failed because the bloody simulator didn't open again. Yeah. Or, like it's it's or, almost as if UI testing isn't worth it. It's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah,
2: or sometimes like the animation that you were expecting took longer for some reason and so the yep. test failed. I am very conflicted on UI and acceptance test, functional test because I can see some value into them. They uh, add they should add an extra layer of um confidence and reliability in your in your software, but we are still in a situation where the tools themselves in my opinion, are not advanced enough to like provide you with something that is actually reliable. Mm. I've implemented um a number of them, but I always find myself saying well yeah i I, sh- I should write them, but maybe we should just Focus on the most important user journey in the app or like in the, in those scenarios that if they break, the app becomes unusable. The classic example that they use in the, in the web world is like, well, you have a web app with a login feature. If the login breaks, uh, None of your user can use the app. Mm-hmm. So that feature there should be unit tested. Uh, sorry, UI tested, accept and tested as much as possible. But then like, uh, do you really need to test that when you press the setting button, the setting screen appears and that the three rows of your settings are there? Uh, maybe not.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I like that.
2: I, I heard of teams that leverage UI and acceptance testing just to make sure that every screen of the app is connected to the other the way it's supposed to. Yep. So that when you press button A, um, screen A appears. And when you go back, you go back to the screen that, that you were before and all those sorts of things without doing any kind of real assertion on
1: the content of the screen. Yeah, that's pretty much what I do, to be honest, because you get what it also happens is if it crashes when it opens one of those screens, it's kind of testing for that as well. So that that's the level I go to and any further than that seems to be more annoyance than it's actually worth.
2: Yeah, and it also becomes a maintenance nightmare yeah. because if you if you make the mistake to bind your assertion to the content to the actual labels that of, of your UI yeah. then like as soon as you're going to change the wording or something and you are going to change it because they change all the time, then your tests as well are going to be, you are going to need to update your tests. And that's quite annoying.
1: Yeah, okay. So what other fast line tools are there? Are there any we haven't mentioned yet? I'm sure there are. There, is, there are, I would
2: say, two uh, sort of areas of tooling that haven't been mentioned, but they're really, really uh, useful. -hmm. One is all all the tools related with code signing.
1: Oh, the worst part.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they, they actually, they actually help a lot. So there's CERT. It's spelled C E R T. And that tool takes care of downloading the um, signing identity, the the certificates that you need. So like, you know, uh, Giovanni Lodi iOS developer or Jelly style um,
1: iPhone distribution. Mm -hmm. So you still need the private key, right? You've got to have the private key on your computer, but it gets the actual certificates. Yeah,
2: correct. Right. 90% sure of that. I always get confused with with certificates, so I I might be wrong. But like, yeah, it it, it downloads sort of everything that you need for that. And the second tool is Sci, you know.
0: Yeah, (sighs) I've used this one. This is Ben's favorite tool. Yeah. Yeah,
2: and that one downloads the provisioning profile for you. And that's pretty handy as well, because if you use them combined into a fast file, any kind of setting that you would have to do manually is done for you automatically. So when you go to run your like archive or like your gym action, all the provisioning profiles are going to be magically configured for you. And yeah, that saves a lot of time.
1: Mm.
2: They recently released, again, in the code signing area, another tool, is called match it allows you and your team to have a shared keychain stored on git so oh, that
1: i should use this yeah
2: it it removes the necessity for every developer to have their own certificate and sharing around private keys everything is stored on git and the tool automatics automatically takes care of pulling and pushing changes and those
1: things. So we we have a hacky version of that, where we have a shared keychain file just sit in Dropbox. And I know that sounds super yeah. hacky, but it actually does work. And I would Dropbox
2: resolve a conflict on a keychain. Oh, it doesn't. Ah. <laughs> but like, yeah, it, you know, it doesn't so try.
1: most of the time, though, the conflict has come from something going into the keychain that probably shouldn't have gone into the shared one. It's like... You know, someone saved a password in Safari or something and it's gone into the wrong one. Yeah. Um, so most of the time they're like irrelevant because when we're actually putting a new key in, everyone sort of knows about it. Yeah. Cause we're a small team. Um, so, but this sounds so much better than our hacky solution. So I'm going to switch.
2: Well, I have to say that your hacky solution is better than what I've done in, in the past, which was simply, yeah, here's uh, the USB key. Let's copy <laughs> the, the, the keychain. And then like, uh, you know, uh, we need to manually update it every time that that's already a step forward. One thing to say, uh, maybe you shouldn't discard your Dropbox keychain yet because for security reason, you cannot use this match tool for um, enterprise distribution uh, certificates ah. and provisioning profiles, because uh, you can always revoke a, an App Store certificate or mm-hmm. just a personal certificate. And like if your keychain stored on Git via match is compromised, well it's not a big deal because you can revoke everything and you're and you're done. Uh, but if your keychain is compromised and someone gets your uh, enterprise distribution Profile or anything the sort of like damage that they could do is bigger, so for security yeah. reason, they decided not to allow you to use enterprise distribution, and I know that a number of agencies actually use enterprise distribution uh, provisioning profiles because I mean they're pretty handy. you can just
1: nobody send your does around. that right nobody <laughs> no agency would do that unheard
0: of. This is a situation though where you, where like having a look and understanding how it works and kind of going your own path might be beneficial for you. If for for example, you have your own internal Git servers or something like that, that you could um, make use of to share your keychain. Like this is, it's a sort of thing where the, the, the great thing about these tools being not only available at open source is that you can like get an understanding of how they work and kind of make use of that knowledge in your own Sort kind of work i guess
1: yeah yeah no, yeah totally. for sure
2: if you if you if you like ruby
1: yeah so that's i guess that's one of the criticisms you hear about Fastlane lane is and CocoaPods pods is they're both written in ruby and yeah. yet they're tools for ios so why aren't they in swift or something but it doesn't bother me too much
0: to be fair they both existed before swift was public i think I yeah i think Fastlane was around, maybe before Swift. Well, definitely CocoaPods. Yeah, CocoaPods has been around for way longer. So, I mean, I, I can completely understand that because I, I, I don't think I would be keen to be writing any um, build scripts or anything like that in uh, Objective C. Because that, that's true. That just <laughs> sounds like a nightmare.
1: It'd be NS
0: tasks everywhere. Honestly, <laughs> I would. I, I will go PHP before I go for. <laughs> For Objective C in that situation.
1: So one more tool I know of that I have never used is the screenshot one. I don't actually know what it's called. Um, have you tried that one? Does it actually work? I haven't
2: tried it personally. For some reason, I haven't been in the situation where screenshot matters. But uh, a number of you know colleagues or people that I that I work with have used it. And are very very happy with that. Um, it is called Snapshot. Ah, oh, okay. And if I'm not mistaken, it has recently been updated to leverage Xcode UI tests, the the recorder oh, cool. of the UI tests. Yeah, because
0: test. yeah, I think UI automation, which is what a lot of other tools, like previous tools, ones that I've used, have been built on, um, got deprecated. I think it got deprecated. Really? I I haven't
2: seen any sort of like, you know, uh, deprecation note anywhere, but like if it hasn't been officially deprecated, it's certainly been, you know, common sense deprecated because they released this new tool that is better and they're putting effort onto it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Use the other one.
0: Yeah, because I mean, the new UI tests are relatively new. UI tests are far better than UI automation in so many regards. The simple fact that you write them in like the native, you know, Swift or Objective C, like that you've got all your other tests and stuff in as opposed to JavaScript, which is what UI automation was built on. That itself is kind of a reason to switch over because yeah, it was a, it, it was. Kind of a pain to like learn the, the ins and outs of all the various things. And you couldn't just access bits and pieces kind of directly. You had to, you had to use the UIA version of any kind of thing, which, which had, you know, limited stuff available for it. So it kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. Yeah. Cool. And for, for what concerns
2: recording the screenshots, I think that the UI test targets provide you with the recorder is pretty powerful. Yeah, I I wouldn't uh, recommend to leverage the recorder a lot to write the proper UI test because of course you're gonna want to uh, put some assertion in there and maybe you know dry your test so share snippets of code that do actions so maybe you don't want to use the the output that the recorder provides you with, but if you just need to write some scripts to take the screenshots then using the recorder is perfect because you're just gonna it's gonna take you a couple of seconds and you're done.
1: Yeah on on that note, I've always found the recorder like if I was writing a proper test, it like builds the chain up with things that probably shouldn't be used because they'd be super fragile. Yeah, yeah, indeed. I use it as a like quick way to see to get the general flow, and then I switch out the horrible bits it puts in. That's how I've done them in the past. Um,
2: Since we're talking again about UI testing, there's something uh, worth mentioning, which is that Apple actually provides a protocol that is the um, UI accessibility identifier. So every UI view or like component of UIKit has this property um, accessibility identifier that Mm -hmm. can be set by the developers and should be used for testing. Whereas like the, all the accessibility label, accessibility hint, those are most of the time just automatically set by UIKit itself and they are used uh, by the um, screen reader voiceover technology to actually read what's on the screen. The accessibility identifier that is untouched by, by the screen reader, they don't care about it and is meant exactly for the kind of um, acceptance test UI test that we want to write. So if you if you need to identify some kind of element and you don't want to have all that you know messy tree of yeah. objects in the view that the recorder would produce, just set its accessibility identifier and use that value.
1: Yeah, good tip. Nice. So now we've got our screenshots. They have a tool as well to upload. I think screenshots as well as other metadata that goes into iTunes Connect. Is that right?
2: Yeah, they do. It's called Deliver. And right. it allows you to upload all sorts of things through iTunes Connect. And yeah, so you can upload the screenshots and notes and whatever else.
1: And that would probably help with, I'm guessing, I hope it helps with this, is um, localization stuff. So I don't know if you've ever set up Game Center, but if you've localized Game Center, it is it is hell to set up manually through itunes connect i i I, i've never had the pleasure well i'll give you a quick rundown it might have changed since i've done it but basically for every achievement or every leaderboard or whatever you need to sort of click through about three pages to get to the title and then you like add a language and then go back and then in that language you get to go forward again like three more pages and add the translation for each achievement and
0: it's it's sounds like the way that you had to do um In app purchases. It's exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it
1: it literally takes hours anytime you want to change it.
0: Yeah. You have to like create it and then you have to go in and I I think it's like I know that that in app purchases stuff has changed. um, Okay. In the last few months, there's been a lot of changes to iTunes Connect over the last few months.
1: But even the screenshots, localizing your screenshots, that takes so long if you do it manually through iTunes Connect. Like you can have up to 300. Yeah. 300 (laughs) screenshots. So having that automated.
2: Did did you say slow connection because anyone in Australia has slow connection? Is that a thing?
1: Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Actually, we're kind of lucky in Canberra. Canberra, if you're in the middle, we have very good internet because we had a private NBN, I guess, before NBN. And we also have NBN, like the proper NBN in a lot of places. So we
0: had VDSL, which isn't really private NBN, but it's as close as you're going to get.
1: Well, it was VDSL too. So my house, my first house in Canberra had... Fiber to the house, so effectively NBN. Yeah. You won't get the full speed though.
0: Mm.
2: What does it's the true. V stand for in V? I don't even know.
0: <laughs> it, it stands for very fast. <laughs> ah! it, it actually stands for very fast.
2: <laughs> wow, well, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, because I, I I looked it up a while ago. Because that's the that's the connection that I've got. i yeah, gotten more yeah recently. same. same at home. It is far and above ADSL, which is or ADSL two, which is more common in Australia, but it's still way behind uh, the
1: NBN, which is... That's not so... This is so off-topic, but the NBN is basically <laughs> 80 megabit and VDSL... 80 to 100, yeah. So... The thing I've noticed with fast internet is the limitation isn't on you anymore. Yeah, it's not on you. So it's always the problem. You have this really fast connection, but most of the time, nothing can go that fast. Yeah, it's
0: like it's so that's the, that's the reason why you sit down, even though you've got a really fast, you know, good connection, you sit down to watch an iTunes movie, and it still takes three hours to load. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Like so, BDSL gets me about sixty megabit connection. I know people on MBN get about eighty. You never really get the hundred but you can't notice it's theoretically 100 and actually it's just theoretically more than that like yeah. 100 is still
0: even, like 100 on NBN, the nbn because it's literally fiber directly to your house is theoretically like unlimited because it can it's ba- it's as fast as light can go
1: yeah all right back on track <laughs> 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 we've complained about the internet enough yep <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: You, you mentioned all the, the game center localization, uh, issues that, that you had. I don't know if Fastlane has a tool that does that exactly. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it did. But if it doesn't, you could build it yourself using yet another tool provided by Fastlane, which is called Spaceship. Spaceship?
1: Yeah. So I've heard of spaceship. Spaceship is kind of like the bit that they all use. That's the, That's the API wrapped in a nice... Exactly,
2: exactly. So again, I could be wrong, but I think that iTunes Connect and all the rest of the platform exposes at least three different type of APIs and Spaceship wraps all of them with the same sort of syntax. And it is it is very cool to use. They also have an interactive shell so you can log in through your like sort of terminal into your um, developer portal or iTunes connect account and use like uh, get all your devices and just you know run command through them filter them and get a property out of the device and change it it is very powerful i i once wrote sort of a little script to automatically add the um, device id is it UDID, UDID oh, yeah, yeah. of new testers that jumped on board using just the spaceship
0: APIs? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, pretty cool.
1: Well, I think I think that's all of Fastlane.
0: Well, it's kind of, but there there are a couple of Android tools as well.
1: Yeah, so I haven't tried the Android ones at all because there's not many of them. It seemed like quite early. It's
0: well, it says it's got a big, well, not a really big one, but a little beta um, flag on it. But there seems to be two of them. One of them is supply, which I guess seems it seems kind of like deliver. Is
1: that upload to Google Play?
0: Uh, command line tool for updating Android apps and their metadata on the Google Play Store. That's pretty cool. Uh, the other one is screen grab, which is kind of I guess like snapshot, where yeah. you automate taking localized screenshots um on every device, which sounds also like a nightmare. Yep. If you had to do it. So oh yeah,
2: especially on Android,
1: where they have like yeah you know, number of screen <laughs> resolutions more than us. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's good. I might actually try those out.
2: I think that the fact like, um, you know, uh, Fastlane joining Twitter also meant a lot of, you know, um, work is going to be put into the Android side of automation. Yeah. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting things coming up from that.
1: Yeah, that's exciting. Exciting for me anyway. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I mean, I think so far it's been good um, to see that um, that Twitter has kind of bought the tools and is running with, running with them, like uh, like making, I guess they because they're using them internally.
1: Yeah, so I believe they're part of Fabric. And yeah. I haven't been the biggest pe- fan of Fabric in the past because everything is so locked down. Yeah,
0: I hate, I hate Fabric and
1: yet I still use it because I, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the whole thing. Yeah, so I'm glad Fastlane is still like out in the open and you don't need to sign up to some salesman Fabric account to get to it. Like, there are other tools. Anyway, I see on your notes, Geo, you have written down the 30x rule for automation. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So this 30x rule is something I found out um, only recently. And once again, I don't have an author, someone to, you know, give proper credit to. So unknown person on the internet shared this idea, (laughs) which is that you should allow yourself To spend up to 30 times as long as it would take you to perform some kind of task to actually automate it. Wow. So 30x, which means like if you have something that, you know, like it takes you one minute to do, you should be up, you know, like ready to spend half an hour to, to automate it. And the, the rationale behind it is that, well, say that you're doing this task that takes you one minute. Every week over the course of one year, you will have saved, uh, say, well, if you work, uh, you know, the 48, I don't know, 48 weeks per year, mm-hmm. you're going to have saved, uh, saved 18 minutes, which makes the investment of time, the initial investment of time to automate it to become, you know, relevant. And it gets even more powerful if you do it every day. Because at the point yeah. you would have saved, like, um, I think the the big um, advertisement thing, you know, the clickbait is like, learn to use the 30x rule and um, have a return of time invested, which I think is R-O-T-I. You have an R-O-T-I of 733%. Because if you do something every day and you're able to automate it, spending like just 30 times the amount of time. You're going to save a
1: lot of time in the long run. Yeah. I think it frees you up to do the more interesting things of our job, like play ping pong, make coffee. <laughs> yeah. Have a coffee. Um, go for a walk. Yeah, go for a walk. You know, ideate. I think <laughs> that, that's, is what that's called. Ideate.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, automation is awesome. Everything that can be automated uh, should be automated. Because it's going to just make it more reliable, make it documented for everyone in the team, and especially for future you. Because I don't know about you guys, but, you know, jump in and out of a of a project, get back there six months later. And, oh, gosh, I don't remember the process to go through these kind of things. Oh, and, yeah, uh, definitely. There's just a script and it's going to do that for you. That, that's, that's pretty good yeah and the other cool thing, and it goes back to the 30 x rule, is that yeah you might say, well, I don't care about those eighteen minutes that I save per year, but what about if you actually have ten tasks that takes ten minutes each? Well, if you automate all of them, then you're gonna have saved uh, what is it three hours uh it, it becomes relevant, yeah, it all adds up
0: yeah I mean the, some of the as developers what what we tend to be like working on in many cases anyway is things that automate tasks for other people it seems a yeah. bit silly that we don't uh that you know we we spend so much time doing all these manual tasks to make that happen it seems like a bit of a um a regression on our part i guess it, like it doesn't really make that much sense so it, ma- it i mean on the other hand it makes total sense for us to automate our jobs because that's uh you know that, that's what we're doing and there are so there's so much kind of you know, s- small things that go, that have to go together in order to make apps happen. That it just, yeah, it works out in the long run, I think.
1: And you know what else? Most of the time, writing the automation script is so much more fun than actually <laughs> yeah, doing totally the, like, the silly <laughs> task. Yeah. yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Cause you're writing code. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can it,
0: see kind of a lot of the times it's so, it's so kind of simple, quote simple, that it, it, you're seeing results almost instantly, like you, which is sometimes with code, you, yeah,
1: yep. yeah, definitely. Cool. So thanks, thanks, Gio, for for all of that. I, that was uh, that was quite intense. It was great. It was insightful. I've got like yeah. so much inspiration now. Yeah, just I'm, I'm like going to totally
0: go and automate everything. That's if I don't spend my next few days watching House of Cards. Maybe I can <laughs> automate all of my rest of my work, and I can just watch the new season of House of Cards. You, yeah,
2: you, you should track how much time you've saved automating things, and spend that time watching House of Cards.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, if people want to get in touch with you and, uh, and, um, you know, talk, talk to you about automation a bit more, where can they find you, Gio?
2: You can find me on Twitter at mochajo. That's M-O-K-A-G-I-O. And I also write um, kind of weekly on my blog. It's called mocha coding. Once again, M-O-K-A coding. And yeah, over there I write about automation and testing and other software development topics, guys. I would really like to say thank you for um, <laughs> you know having me here, inviting me on, on on the couch. It's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been very intense. I've certainly talked a lot. Hopefully, most of the things that I've said are correct, and you know people are gonna enjoy them. If you know if I made some mistake, please do get in touch and correct me so that. You know, we can all learn something.
0: Yeah, no, it's been great to have you, man. Yeah, definitely. It's been great to have you. So, if you want to... Uh, all those kind of bits and pieces of information will also be in our show notes and obviously links to stuff that we've talked about. Um our show notes, and if you want to contact us as well, you can jump on our website, which is mobilecouch.co. Uh, you can also chat to Ben and I on Twitter to get in touch with both of us. You can probably contact the show, which is underscore mobilecouch, or you can talk to us individually just in case you really hate one of us. <laughs> ben is on Twitter as Ben Trangrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E, and I am Jelly Bean Soup. Thank you to everybody. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to our patrons who sponsor the show, who help make the show, uh, keep the show running. It's so good to have you all on board. All of you. All of you. Every, every single person. We look forward to talking to you again in two more weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Bye. Ciao.